Well, the last time we started a three-part series on God's measuring stick. So I'm going to give you a little review. Several years ago, while I was meditating on the fact that Jesus was Jehovah Jireh, he was the Lord, our provider, and I was thanking God for all the blessings, and suddenly in front of me, I saw this large measuring stick. Now, it was in my mind's eye, but I, I knew it was supernatural. It was just this large measuring stick. There was a zero at one end and a hundred at the other end. And God began to show me that wherever we reach out and touch that scale in any particular area of our life. And if we lock in in faith based on the word of God, God will get us to that place. And I thought, you know, God makes it so easy for us if we'll just do what he says. When we determine in our heart to make something a priority, for example, we might say a marriage, and we touch that measuring stick way at the top. And if we determine that with God's help, we're going to have the best marriage in the world, and we mean it, and we're obedient then God will get us there. See, it's our choice where we want to be in any area. And I've thought about that a lot. It doesn't matter what area it is. You know, some areas are top priority to me. And so I'll work on those. But in any area in our life, God will get us wherever we decide we want to reach up and say, God, we want to be the best here. We want, we want to do it your way. Now, in the last session, we talked about how God will show us different areas of our life and how we literally have made a choice, whether we realize it or not, and the choice we made is where we eventually ended up. See, we are spiritually touching that measuring stick at a particular place on the scale, and it's based on how much priority we're putting in that particular area. And what it does, it lets us know uh, if we are making something a priority. You know, some things we just kind of don't pay that much attention to them. We just let anything happen. But if we're making it a priority and we're taking hold of God in that particular area and we're dogmatically hanging there on his promises, it is amazing what, what God can do for us. And that means we've grabbed hold of that measuring stick right at the top. And if we won't turn loose, you know, there's a lot of worries and cares and things in this life that kind of pull us one direction or another. But if we just determine, Lord, these areas that are important, I'm not going to turn you loose. God will get us there. What a relief to know we don't have to get ourselves there. God will do it for us. Now, your mind may be absolutely screaming that there's no way to get there. I don't have the ability or I don't have the time or I don't have the talent or whatever. But getting there really is not our problem. If you think about it, if we'll touch that scale where we want to be, by making that area a, a big priority. And if we determine, Lord, I'm not going to fall back. I'm not going to look back. And I'm going to be obedient to you. Yes. It's just such a relief to know that God will move us there. Yes. God will get us there. Yes. Now, you may be thinking, well, I'm touching the scale high in a lot of areas and it hadn't done any good. You know, all of us have thought that at times, you know. Well, we just need to realize, hang in there and don't pull our hand back down the scale and not give up. And the time will come when it will work because God doesn't always work on our time schedule. We may be praying and believing God and hanging in there and it may be a while. I, I keep thinking about how long Abraham and Sarah wanted a baby. They got that baby, but it was a while they had to wait. I don't think he's going to make us wait that long. But we have to have a goal or we have to have a target for every single area of our life that's important, where we want to be. We need to have a goal if we're going to get there. Now, last time we talked about goals for our health. We talked about goals for our finances, for our marriages. And this time, I want you to ask yourself now, what is my goal in the area now of my walk with God? This one is so important. 
So today, I want us to apply everything now that we've learned so far to our love walk with God. Because he's calling every one of us into a love walk. See, we have to decide where it is that we want to be with God before we'll ever leave where we are. Because we're creatures of habit. We just stay right in that same spot if we don't say, no, God, I want more. I want to go further with you. And when we do that, he'll move us as far as we want to go. So I want you to hear now what I just said. We have to decide where it is that we want to be with God before we'll ever leave where we are. It's so important to hear that. If you never think about it, I promise you'll stay right that same place in the measuring stick. Where you want to be with God, you're going to have to face that question and realize, okay, Lord, if, if I really want to move on with you, there's something I've got to do. I've got to make some changes. So how, how desirous are we to have him be our very best friend? That's what he wants. But how desirous are we for that? You know, a best friend cares about every little thing that concerns us. And how much do I want God to be concerned with every little thing that concerns me? We want it, but are, are we willing to step out and say, I'm going to reach high on that measuring stick. That's what I want. Now, the enemy is constantly saying in first person, we need to realize the enemy doesn't talk to us like you're going to do this or you need to do this. Satan talks to us in first person because he wants us to think that it, it's our thoughts. And so many times we will think, oh, I, I don't want to bother God with that. I can handle it. Well, that's the enemy telling me that in first person. And we think it's our thinking and we don't realize it's the enemy holding us back. But we need to remember what John 15, verse 5 says. Jesus said, I'm the vine, and you're the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, that is the one who will bear much fruit. And then I love the last part of that. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. We need to remind ourselves of that all the time. Apart from God, God tells us we can do nothing. Okay, let me give you an example of God being our best friend who cares for every little thing that concerns us. Monday of uh, this week, I was snowed under a load of books that come in, and the printer had made a mistake on the bow on the back of the book, and there was no possibility of getting everything done. And so I started thinking, you know, I don't have time to do my prayer walk today. I just, I just don't have time. I'm barely going to have enough time to even get a little bit done that I have to do. And really, that's my best time of the day is when I take my walk with God. But the enemy in first person reasoning, he was filling my mind that if I, if I take my walk, if I have this time with God today, I'm never going to make it. So surely God just understands. And I thought of all those things uh, that I had to do, and boy, they were just numbering off in my head, you know. But I decided to override my flesh that was screaming. And right before I finished my, my prayer time, God dropped an idea in my mind doesn't always work, work that fast. But this time he dropped an idea in my mind and two phone calls later, something that would normally have taken six hours was done in one hour. And I remember sitting there just staring, just saying, God, uh, you know, and, and I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, was this simply because I chose to spend time with you? Is this why, you know, and I think sometimes we don't realize that God just makes things happen when we, when we do our part. Now, the time, the money, the thoughts that we give to God, they, they don't just come back, they're multiplied back to us. Now, the enemy will also tell us that we're not capable of doing certain things. Or sometimes he'll tell us that we're not worthy. Well, we're not worthy, but God offers it anyway. 
And everything is dependent upon how badly we want what God's offering. We're always telling God what all we want, but he's offering so many things that we don't even take advantage of. Now, I heard this evangelist the other day say, you'll never leave Egypt until you focus on Canaan. Now, the Lord had me make a list of different areas in my walk with God, and then he had me go down that list and be really honest with myself on where I had settled in on the scale. I had to look at that, and I was wanting things in that area, but where had I really settled in? He didn't allow me to look at my walk with him in general. He wanted me to be very specific. Now, this measuring stick is your target for where you want to end up in every phase of your relationship with God. Now, we have to ask ourselves, is it a priority for me to spend time alone with God every day in prayer? Is that a priority? You know, uh, we need to be honest with ourselves to find out what our priorities really are. Is it a priority to place my plans before God and let him impress me what are the important things that he wants me to do that day? Because sometimes we, we may want something, but God's showing us that there's certain steps we have to take. Is spending time in the word every day a priority to me? We need to ask ourselves these questions. Am I praying every day over my children, over my mate, over my ministry? A am I taking time to pray over different ones that God brings to my mind? If we're in too big a hurry, we're not even listening when God's telling us someone to pray for. And that prayer we pray in obedience to God can make all the difference in the world in that person's life. And remember, the priority you put on something will also show up in your children. Because when you grab hold of that measuring stick at the top in an area, it's going to influence where they grab hold of their measuring stick because it's a spiritual law. What you sow in your walk, you're going to reap not only in your family, but also in their walk with God. When you touch that scale way up at the top, it's kind of like a spiritual hydraulic lift that begins to move us in our family to that place. Now, you may not even realize that you're moving, but if you don't give up and if you keep just reaching higher with God, you may not realize you're moving. But I tell you what, look again in a year and you'll be shocked at how far you've come. That's what's fun is believing God for something and, you know, just keep standing and then look at it months later or a year later. And you think, Lord, I didn't even realize that it was moving. I didn't even realize what you were doing. But remember, it also works the other way. When I was in high school, we had this married couple. That it was, uh, they weren't young, young. They were probably middle-aged. And they taught us faithfully every Sunday night. They were there every week teaching us, praying with us, helping us get our answers out of the Word. And I would have considered them the most spiritual couple in our church. I, I wouldn't have even questioned that. But the time came right after I graduated that they dropped out of that ministry. Now, I didn't think too much about that because I thought, well, they probably have something else they want to do now. But they didn't just drop out of the ministry. They also dropped completely out of church, never saw them in church again. Okay, with Jesus, we've got to realize we're in it for the long haul. It's not just to do a certain project. We're in it for the long haul until it's time for us to go home to our eternal home with him because he's going to have something for us to do no matter how old we get. Now, I was very quick that day to say, yes, I want a close walk with you, Lord, but I want to be in it for the long haul. That's a top priority. It's a top priority for me, and I want my children to touch that scale way at the top. It's not just, not just for us. And then the Lord began to conduct just kind of a little survey of my desire 
and how are surveys conducted? It's always asking questions. So he asked me some very revealing questions. And that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go down that list so that you can use it as an inventory to see where you've grabbed hold of that measuring stick in these different areas. Because really, it's totally our choice. God's not going to make us do one thing that we're not willing to do. God's not going to force us beyond where we want to be. So as you take this survey, just be ultra honest. Now, this is just between you and the Lord. You don't even have to share it with anybody else. But number one, what about your fellowship time with God? God really is asking each one of us, how close to me do you want to be? How close do you want? Now, some people are touching the scale way down at the bottom, and maybe it's not even a conscious thing, you know. They're just busy, and they've allowed other things to take precedence. Sometimes by our actions, we're saying, Lord, I'm just so busy. Lord, I, I would really like to spend more time with you, but my schedule's just filled, and I just don't have time, you know. Um, well, whether it's a conscious thing or not, we're making a choice. Every single time we're making a choice. God says, I'll draw to near to you if you'll draw near to me. And the Lord took me to Luke 14, 16 through 24, where it says a certain man was giving a big dinner and he invited many. And at the dinner hour, he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, come for everything's ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I bought a piece of land and I need to go and look at it. Please consider me excused. Another one said, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to try them out. Please consider me excused. And another one said, I've married a wife and for that reason I cannot come. And the slave came back and reported this to the master. Then the head of the household became angry and said to his slave, go out at once into the streets and the lanes and the city and bring in here the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. And the slave said, master, what you commanded has been done and still there's room. And the master said to the slave, go out into the highways and along the hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste of my dinner. Okay, I want us to look at all these excuses. They were all saying, I'm sorry. One of them said, I'm sorry, I've taken a wife. Another one said, I've bought some livestock. Another one said, I've bought a piece of land. All they were saying is, Lord, I'm just so busy. I have so many things going on in my life. And if you'll notice, they were all good excuses. They, they weren't sinful things that they had done. You know, it wasn't like the guy said, I'm going to have an adulterous affair so I can't come. No, he said, I've just married a wife. But notice that every single excuse involved our busy schedule. And the Lord began showing me that our busy schedule keeps us from the things of God so many times. And boy, times haven't changed. Years ago, I was attending a lay renewal at First Baptist, and there was an altar call at the end of the service, and I went up to the altar, and I happened to kneel down right beside a girl that looked to be about in her 30s, and she was crying. And she began to talk to me, and she said, you know, I want a closer walk with God, but I'm so busy, I just meet myself coming. I, I don't know how I can fit anything else in my schedule. And I said, well, if you'll make God your top priority, He'll give you a brand new schedule and it won't take away from the things you want to do. But you'll find out that you have more time because his burden is light and it's not going to be overwhelming. In fact, it'll be satisfying because he'll show you the things that are really important. Well, I couldn't believe how badly that upset her. And she said, well, I'm not about to leave off one thing that I'm doing. 
everything I'm doing is important. And she began to name all the good things that she was involved in. And they were all okay things. It, they were civic activities mainly. A Boy Scouts, and she was taking care of things that she thought were important. And they were all good secular things. And the strangest sensation came over me when she was making all those excuses. I literally felt like I was talking to the rich young ruler. That's what it felt like, you know. I've done everything right, you know, from my youth up. And that's basically what she was saying. Well, over the next few years, I observed her life, and things went fine. You know, it seemed to be going fine. But after 10 years, every single area in her life had fallen apart. Everything. See, it wasn't that God was sending bad things on her, but she had chosen an under-par walk with God. And it was simply the fact that when the enemy came in to steal, she didn't have anything with which to fight. She didn't have any reserve. And so she went under. God, in his mercy, had given her the opportunity now to choose more of him. That's what he was pulling on her. And she was basically saying, Lord, I just don't have time. I do it, Lord, but I just don't have time. And the sad part, Revelation 3.20, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and anyone who hears my voice and opens the door, that's the key, the ones who open the door, Maybe we all hear his voice telling us something to do, but it's the ones who open the door. He says, then I will come into him and I will dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant him to sit down with me on my throne. As I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne, he who has an ear, let him hear. And I think it's interesting that he ends with that statement because God's speaking to us a lot through different things, but who has the ear to hear? He who has the ear to hear, let him hear. So we have to have a spiritual ear if we're going to hear what God's telling us to do. Now, she probably thought, Lord, why have all these bad things happened? Look at all the good things I've been doing all of my life. I'm sure that's what was going through her mind. But we need to ask ourselves, what is my top priority? Because a lot of times we think that our top priority is something really nice, <laughs> you know, really good. And if we really look at it, you know, God will let us know, okay, maybe that's not a bad priority, but is it the top priority? Is it what I've called you to do? Now, the Lord spoke to me through an article that I read. It was a, about a dairy farmer. Now, a dairy farmer milks every day, milks his cows, because he knows if he doesn't milk those cows, they're going to quit producing. So that's a big priority to him. No matter how busy he is, no matter what comes up, he stops and he does the milking of his cows that day because he has to. Then there's the football fan. And no matter how busy he is, he'll stop to watch that game when his team's playing because he wants to. And so the Lord showed me that we do two things. We do what we have to do and we do what we want to do. Those are the two things that, that we do. Now, the person doesn't necessarily have to spend time with God. And sometimes the person doesn't really even want to. So it is a choice. We, will, we were never made to do what We'll never make a requirement of ourselves to do what God required until we make that choice, until we stop and say, Lord, this is a choice and I choose to make it. But it's such an important choice that God has put examples all through the word in front of us. Again, there's that measuring stick right there in front of us, zero and a hundred. I was surprised at, at how many things I was really touching way down near zero. But God said, I want you to look at that measure stick at every decision and see what you're doing. It's not the, just the choice we make, but it's how much priority do we give it. That shows us we're on the measuring stick that we've grabbed. 
When Daniel was told to quit his daily prayer with God or he'd be thrown in the lion's den, he chose the lion's den. I thought about that so much and I thought, what if we had to make a choice like that? What if we had to make that choice? How many of us would say that our time with God is so important that, Lord, I'll face the hungry lions before I'll give it up? I don't know many of us as Christians in this modern day that would even make that choice because that'd be a joke to most Christians, but it's not a joke to God. Okay, how important is it for us to be obedient to God? Now, I'm not talking about starting out with hours out of our day. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about we need to each Christian stop and say, Lord, I want to give you something. I've got to start somewhere. I'll give you something. Some people, they don't even have a prayer time. If they just give him 10 minutes, you know, start with 10 minutes. But determining that nothing in the world is going to keep me from my 10 minutes. If, if we just do that, then that's a start and God will start moving us. Now, the 45 minutes I spent with God that morning literally saved me five hours. It, it was a shock. And that's something I'll never forget. Now, God gave men authority over this earth. And that means that we should have authority over at least our 24 hours in our day. We may not have authority over something else, but that 24 hours is ours. And, and he wants us to take authority there. And we decide many times, how much fellowship time am I going to spend with you, Lord, today? We're making that decision. Sometimes we don't even think about it because we've got so much to do. We're just busy. But whether we think about it or not, we're still making that decision. And it all depends on where I decide that I'm going to reach out and touch that measuring stick. How big a priority is it in my life? Okay, number two, I was asked, how well do I hear God's voice? And then I felt like he said, do you want to hear my voice? Sometimes it's not a matter of how well do we hear. Do I want to? Is it a priority to me? See, it's good to get confirmation from other people to confirm what you're hearing from God. But too often, we're more impressed with what some other person has to say more than we're impressed with what God has to say to us. And if we think we can get an answer from somebody that we consider to be very wise, oh my, we think we've really done something. And yet the God of the universe is saying, ask me, <laughs> ask what you need. So a lot of times it's because we just think that we can't hear God. I have so many people tell me, I, I just haven't learned to hear God. And I think we all would have to admit, oh, I wish I heard God better, you know. Yes. I, I think we're all there. But that needs to be a go where we say, God, I want to learn to hear you better tomorrow than I'm hearing you today. Yes. Okay. But in John 10... It's amazing because John answers that completely. He said, you're my sheep and you hear, yeah, Jesus said, you're my sheep and you hear my voice. So we need to start just thanking God. Lord, I do hear your voice. Yes. It's not even a matter of having to pray and say, oh God, please let me hear your voice. We need to start confessing what he says here. Mm -hmm. Lord, I thank you that I do hear your voice. God wants us to make it a priority to touch that measure and stick high in our determination to say, Lord, I'm going to learn how to hear your voice better every day. Lord, I want to hear your voice better tomorrow than I'm hearing today. Yes. And in six months from now, I intend to be hearing you so much better than I'm doing today. That needs to be our goal. See, we touch that scale high by saying, Lord, I am your sheep and I am determined that I can hear your voice because your word tells me. Yes. And so that is a priority to me. And then we have to make up our mind that we're not going to turn loose and pull back down the scale. 
so many things cause us to turn loose of that reach and, and pull down. And then when you need to hear, if you'll do these things, when we need to hear, then we'll hear. God see to it that we're hearing. Well, afterwards, the Lord began to have me spend some of my quiet time with him, just being quiet and listening. And I really shocked myself because I realized most of my prayer time had been my talking nonstop. <laughs> I wasn't even giving God a chance to uh, talk back to me. But we need to ask ourselves, do I really believe that God's going to speak to me? Do I really believe that he will? And do I believe that I can hear him when he does speak to me? See, it might not be right at the moment when I'm praying, but he will answer if we're expecting an answer. And we need to realize, even if we're not hearing it just yet, uh, we need to stop and say, okay, Lord, I know you're going to answer me, so I want to be ready. I want to hear it. I remember years ago, I had just come into the Spirit-filled walk, brand new, and I was just beginning to realize that God was never the one sending the bad things. He sent good and perfect gifts. And I was so excited about that new understanding. And suddenly the enemy just dropped in my thoughts. How can you think that sickness and disease is not coming from God? Because God created everything. So he must have created those germs. And I'm going to tell you, the, for a moment I panicked. Because back then I was learning new things and everything panicked me because the enemy was just sending me questions. And I thought, you know what, that's right. If sickness doesn't come from God, where did these germs come from that, that causes the sickness? And that thought was hitting me so hard that I just felt devastated. And the Lord really impressed me, get up and go on to church. Now, Jack always went in early and I'd come later. And I went, but I couldn't seem to get that thought out of my mind. It had just pretty well devastated me. Well, about halfway into the sermon, and this is true, <laughs> even though it just sounds almost unbelievable, the pastor said, I want you to think about germs. God created everything good. He created microscopic plants and so forth. But in this fallen world, Satan took those microscopic plants and perverted them to use his germs to spread disease. I got so excited when I realized God had answered my question and I couldn't sit still. I literally was bouncing up and down and I was sitting by a friend and she reached her and put her hand on me to hold me down because <laughs> I was so excited. Well, about that time, the uh, pastor actually said this. He said, I have no idea where that came from. He said, that was not in my notes. And I thought, oh, I, I wanted to stand up and say, I know where it came from. You know, God had told me to get up and go to church and he'd give me an answer. And he certainly did. He certainly did. Okay, number three, how determined are you to have your ministry to be the best that it can be? You know, sometimes we just say, Lord, I thank you that I've got a ministry. I thank you that you're using me. But sometimes we forget to say, God, I want it to be the best it can be. I want it to be a blessing. Every born-again Christian has a ministry call, whether he realizes it or not. But some people say, oh, I, I don't have a ministry. But the failure now to accept the fact that they have a ministry means that they're content to touch that scale down at zero. Yeah. When they think, I don't have a ministry, I, I don't have the ability or whatever. And that's exactly what we're going to get. We're going to get zero, you know, because we're going to be willing to let the things of God pass us by, thinking that it's for everybody else, but everybody else hears God, but I don't. It's just not for me. God's not going to force us. He's not going to beg us past the place where we decide that we want to stand, where, where we decide we're going to reach out and touch that measuring stick. 
Now, just because we're not operating in the fullest extent of our ministry now, that's really not the issue. It's not a matter uh, of whether we've accomplished it, whether we've gotten there or not spiritually. It's just where we want to be. If we want to be there, God's going to get us there. And what matters is what's on the inside. What priority have I put on my ministry? Where am I touching that scale uh, spiritually? And, and the Lord has me a lot of times just stop and ask myself, where am I touching the scale in this particular area? Now, your mind may be screaming, there's no way to get there. I don't have the ability. Well, again, I want to say getting there, that's not our problem. You know, God will equip us for what he calls us to do. He will equip us. And we touch that scale where we want to be, wherever we want to be. That's where we reach out and touch the scale. And we say, God, this is a priority in my life. And if we mean that and we don't back down, God will eventually get us there. I'm going to give you an example from Scripture. In 2 Kings 2 verse 1, this is when Elisha now begins his ministry. And he has made it a priority. Now, for a while, he's been walking with Elijah, the old prophet, and he's been learning for him. And Elisha is determined he's going to reach up and touch that scale at the top. And he even burned the bridges behind him because he knew he wasn't going back. If you remember how he even killed his oxen, you know, because he had made up his mind. I, I'm not staying here, Lord. I'm going with you. And so he set his face like flint to serve God for the rest of his life. And he grabbed that measuring stick way at the very top. Now, there's not one thing that Elisha could have done to have brought this and made it happen. Yeah, he could have wanted that all day long, but he couldn't have made it happen. But when he reached to the top of the scale and said, God, this is where I want to be, then God got him there. And that's a, a, a really good reminder to us. It's not because a lot of times we think I could never get there. But it's where we reach and say, this is where I want to be. And when we sincerely mean that, then God starts getting us there. So it's not a matter of touching that scale high and making it happen. God's going to bring it to pass when we're obedient. Okay, in 2 Kings 2, starting with verse 1, it came about when the Lord was about to take Elijah by a whirlwind into heaven that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I'm not going to leave you. So they went to Bethel. Then the two of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and they said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he said, Yes, I know that. Be still. <laughs> In other words, shut up. <laughs> don't, don't talk to me about that. And Elijah said to him, Elisha, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I'm not going to leave you. So they went to Jericho. And the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho approached Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he said, Yes, I know it. Be still. Then Adijah said to him, the old prophet said to him, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jordan. And he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I'm not going to leave you. So the two of them went on. Now, 50 of the sons of the prophets went and stood opposite them at a distance while the two of them stood by the Jordan. And Elijah took his mantle and folded it together and he struck the waters and they were divided here and there so that the two of them could cross over on dry land. Now, it came about when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for you before I'm taken from you. 
And Elisha said, I want a double portion of your spirit to be on me. Well, that must have been a shock to Elijah because he said, boy, you've asked a hard thing. <laughs> you know, So he must have been a little shocked about it. Nevertheless, if you are with me when I'm taken from you, it shall be so for you. And if it's not, then it'll not be. Then it came about as they were going along and talking that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, which separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by whirlwind into heaven and Elisha saw it. Don't you know he was beside himself when he, he realized, yeah, I did see it. And he started crying out, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw them no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and he tore them in two pieces. He also took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him. And he returned and stood by the banks of the Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah. He struck the waters and said, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he also had struck the waters, they were divided here and there, and Elisha crossed over. God wasn't playing favorites with Elisha. Those sons of the prophets, they were wanting what he was getting. And any one of them could have had it. When everybody told Elisha to stay back, he said, no, I want everything God's got. And it says in verse 7 that they stood at a distance. In other words, they didn't push in. But that's not what Elisha did. It was Elisha who wasn't about to be persuaded to settle for less. And I see all the time people who are standing at a distance saying, well, that's nice for them, but I could never do that. That's not for me. We hear that all the time. But boy, not Elisha. And that needs to be a goal for us, is to look at his life. That's why these testimonies are there in the Word, for we can see what they chose and what they got, and we can do the same thing. And he dogmatically kept his hand way on, up on that scale at 100. And he believed for something that was seemingly impossible. Even when they insisted that he stay back, he said, no, I'm going all the way. No one is going to leave me behind. And I think it's interesting that he didn't ask for a portion of the anointing. He asked for a double portion. And I thought about that because Elijah was not an ordinary prophet. He didn't have an ordinary anointing. Elijah was a man of God who had called down fire. If you'll remember, he had destroyed the 750 false prophets that time. He had outrun the chariots by foot. He ran faster than they went. He had brought people back from the dead by the power of God. And ravens brought him food and kept him alive all during the famine. So Elijah had done mighty miracles for God. But yet Elisha said, no, I don't want just a portion of his anointing. I want a double portion. And I thought about what we would have done, probably most of us, if uh, we had been asked, you know, you know what, what do you want? We would have said, oh, my goodness. Elijah has such a mighty anointing. If I could just have a little portion of his anointing, just a little bit, I would be so happy. But boy, not Elisha. He said, no, I want double of what he had. And we would probably have said that he was egotistical and he was assuming. But he didn't care what people thought. He wanted what he wanted. And he wasn't settling for 50% or 75%. He said, no, I want 200%. I want double. Now, some people don't even believe that they have a ministry. So when a person's there, they, they need to uh, you know, start saying, okay, I, I haven't been believing for this, but I'm going to put my hand way at the top. Not there yet, but I'm putting my hand at the top of this measuring stick, and I'm going to say, Lord, by faith, I know I have a ministry, 
and I know you'll reveal my gift, and I can't get there. But, Lord, I'm going to trust you that you'll get me there. Your word says that my gift will make a place for me. Now, we had an older woman in our church one time, and she took this challenge. She was quite elderly. And every week she made a list of the people who were not there every Sunday and the people who were sick. And that week she spent her time calling all the sick people, praying for them, and calling the ones who weren't there and saying, hey, we missed you in church. And it was amazing the difference it made in the church, but also it made such a difference in her walk with God. You saw the change on her. So begin to pay attention to what it is that you enjoy doing for the kingdom of God and, or, or what you feel like God's leading you to. Because when God shows you what your ministry is, you don't have to fear that it's going to be something that you dislike or detest or, or that you can't do. Because God will plant a desire in you to do whatever it is that he's calling you to do. I can't even begin to tell you how many people I've heard say, I I'm afraid to tell God that I want a ministry because he might send me to Africa and I'd have to live in some African hut. I've heard that a lot of times. And I don't want that. Listen, God plants a desire in us to do whatever it is that he's calling us to do. We don't have to fear that he's going to call us to do something that we panic about. So some of you know what God has called you to be, but we need to ask ourselves, how determined am I to be the very best that I can be? Okay, I'm going to give one little side note. We will never allow God to make us the best we can be if we don't allow him to work on how we see ourselves. That's usually the big uh, drawback. Too often we're touching the scale way down low because we think, well, I just don't have the ability to do that, you know. Boy, they, they're so talented, but I, I just don't have it. I can't do it. Someone else could do this so much better than I do. See, it's not our ability. It's not our personality. It's God's ability in us. And no one can do the job that God has called you to do as well as you can do it. No one can. Okay, now there are three main hindrances in our thinking to keep us from the best that we can be from God. And so we need to watch for any one of these pitfalls. Number one, it can be the thought, I can't do it as well as somebody else. Because anytime God calls us to do something, we can think of so many people and we think, oh, they're so talented. They could do it so much better, you know. Or number two, my ministry is not that important. Uh, and if we're depending on God, then God will give us whatever we need to do it. But so many times we just think, well, it's not that important. Anybody could do this. Or number three, I've blown it so many times, it's too late for me. Can't imagine how many people I've heard say, it's really too late for me. I, I've, I, I've just blown it too many times. Well, we've all made mistakes, you know, and blown it. But today, God wants us to see that today is a new day. And we can touch that measuring stick high in spite of past mistakes if we let God forgive the past. We do need to repent over some things, but let him forgive the past and make it a priority. And that's why I love Galatians 2.20, where we realize I have been crucified with Christ. So it's no longer I that lived, but it's Christ living in me. And when we realize that, then we're capable for anything he calls us to do. Yes. Who we are in Christ is the true identity of every Christian. It's not who we are in and of ourselves. But if we believe that, we're going to grab that measuring stick right at the top, and we're going to say, Lord, it's not me anyway. <laughs> okay, now this is a commitment between you and God. We just need to start telling God, Lord, I want my life to count for the kingdom. I want what you have for me. 
And if we just say it to God, and if we mean it, then he'll do the rest. He'll get us there. Because we couldn't get ourselves there anyway. I thought of Elijah and Elisha and all those. They couldn't have gotten themselves there, no matter how hard they tried. But if we receive it and accept it, God will do the getting. He'll do the getting us there. And Father, that's what we're asking for. We're asking, Father, in Jesus' name, that you will help us to come to a place where we receive, we receive, we receive, Father, what, what you have for us, knowing that it's not our ability, it's, it's not anything that we can do, it's the, our willingness, our choice, and we make the choice that you'll get us there. Father, we say thank you. That's what we want. That's what we desire. In Jesus' name, amen.